Hey everybody, it's Tony, your host here. Just want to invite you to head on over to tonyfletcher.substack.com and subscribe, if you will, so that you can get yourself a weekly newsletter full of news about this podcast, my other podcast, a Substack-only subscribers podcast that's launching in December 2023, and you'll get additional show notes for this episode and other episodes complete with pictures, links, and even video and music if need be. That's tonyfletcher.substack.com. And now on with the show. The most sustainable kit is the kit you've already got. And, you know, durability is likely to be the best thing these companies can do, not use a bit of mushroom or algae or sugar cane, because um, sometimes that shoe won't last as long, actually, as one made from fossil fuels. So until we've got a great solution there, we look for durability. And, and probably most of these companies should make a bit less. <laughs> Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of One Step Beyond, a show all about positively engaging with the world outside our door. In case you don't know, my name is Tony. I have a professional life in music and media. This podcast is my hobby. It's a combination of uh, the tagline you just heard, you know, maybe trying to improve our health in the process of getting outdoors, maybe learning to step outside our comfort zone to make the most of our life, and certainly about trying to do the best by the planet Uh, Not something that we've discussed quite so literally in the past, but it's something we are going to discuss today with Damien Hall, the author of a brand new book called We Can't Run Away From This, Racing to Improve Running's Footprint in Our Climate Emergency. Damien is a champion ultra runner, what they tend to call fell runners in the UK, and his name is well known within that community, maybe less well known outside. And yes, I recognize and acknowledge that the first three guests of this new series uh, have all been in some way involved in the running community. And I definitely recognize and acknowledge that's an easy fallback for me. Um, I also want to recognize and acknowledge all three of my my guests have been uh, middle-aged white males. And uh, that's not the intention of this show. And it certainly wasn't what we did on the last series. I just want to kind of acknowledge that right up front because I have a wonderful episode lined up. It's about a local festival that takes place here in uh, Kingston in the Hudson Valley. It's kind of groundbreaking. It's a forerunner of hopefully further great things to come. And it, it, it's, it's relevant to our show. But it, there was a lot of interviewing and a lot of sort of field recordings involved in putting that one together. Um, not done with the editing. And so... Uh, this is the way that you have things. However, uh, Damien definitely helps take me outside my comfort zone. He's he's really had an impact. Um, that's a deliberate choice of word. He's really had an impact on my own thinking about uh, how I live my life as an outdoors person and how I live my life in general. We're going to focus on the outdoors aspect of it. And for all that his book is about um, the, the running and the damage that he has discovered that running unfortunately does do to the climate, I say very early on, and I'll just keep enforcing this and reinforcing this, um, I just want you to listen to it with a view that whatever your outdoor activity, um, literally whatever it is, uh, the, the, the same sort of rules apply. The, the specifics may be a bit different, but the generalities will be uh, highly similar. Damien defined himself when asked as a father, a son, a brother, a husband, and a runner. 
and I appreciate that he kept the running part of that in perspective. He lives in the Wiltshire Alps, as he calls them, though I suspect that the Alps part of that may have a little bit of humour attached to it. If you know Swindon or Bath in the sort of southwest of England before you get down to Devon and Cornwall, etc., that's Wiltshire, lovely part of the world. And uh, We Can't Run Away From This is his second book. His first book was entitled In It For The Long Run. Yes, he's good with puns on runs. Uh, Subtitled Breaking Records and Getting FKT. If you don't know what an FKT is, you're going to find out in about two to three minutes when he talks about um, the main event he's known for. His first book is a memoir about getting into this and that particular event. Unlike a lot of uh, people who write books about their sporting engagements, he is a writer. He's a former journalist. And I say former because he now gets to earn most of his income from coaching. And he says some of it from uh, actually racing. And he is a sponsored athlete or at least an ambassador for some companies, which is something we're also going to get into. I do have just one more thing to say before we jump in. This show takes the attitude that climate change is real, that humans are a primary cause for the climate change and that the danger uh, is upon us. In fact, it's passed upon us. We have to do something now. We have to do something yesterday. And it's not enough for all of us just to hope that our governments will take care of the problem because history shows us that they won't. If you are, unfortunately, a climate change denier or you just don't think we've got much to do with it or there's nothing you can do, well, for the first two points there I can't help you but for the third one we definitely can so so listen in I will be back at the end of the interview which is around the one hour mark and I'm going to take a few minutes just to detail the findings of my own research into my own carbon footprint um, in general terms in terms of the companies I support the the travel I take maybe the lifestyle the races I participate in it might be instructive for yourself if you similarly want to uh, have some uh, self-reflection and that's largely the aim of the conversation that follows you will certainly hear that Damien is what they call in the UK a top bloke a top geezer and i will hand it over to him join us now as we go one step beyond damien hall welcome to one step beyond how are you doing today i'm doing very well thank you all right great and um we're here we're going to talk in large part about a book that's just just come out this month uh, your second book and we're gonna we're gonna get on to that we're gonna give the title in a moment but first i just wanted to um get some background on you it should be said that i think ultra runners are among the least um the least famous of all sort of uh, <laughs> athletes um they kind of uh, labor in the shadows somewhat and uh you're uh, you're incredibly successful. However, what I what I love is is yours is one of these classic stories of somebody who came into this relatively late in life. Can you just give us the the very quick summary of how you fell into this whole world of ultra running? Um, and my follow up question will be: How the hell did you get so good at it so quickly? <laughs> yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, I can see now that that yes, I signed up for the. I was feeling a little bit unfit, but I I, I am someone who's been generally sporty and outdoorsy most of my life. Um, but I was feeling a little bit unfit, and I lived in Bath, and the Bath Half is a really big event there. So I, I thought I'll sign up. I've never run a half marathon. I'll sign up, um, get a bit fitter. Uh, this was 2011 or 2011 when I ran it, um, and yeah, I just loved it and was like, oh wow, I'm going to do more of this running stuff. 
you know, who knew running without a football at your feet could be could be <laughs> sort of satisfying. Um, and yeah, it really escalated. Um, I suppose a year later, yeah, did my first marathon, first ultra marathon. And and yeah, four years from there, my first marathon, I ran dressed as a toilet. And and four years from there, I, I qualified for the, the GB trail running team at the age of, uh, I think I was 40. Yeah. So, so that, yeah, I guess that sounds a bit crazy. <laughs> and And certainly... Once I'd got into my thirties, yeah, I never thought I'd be a, I suppose, an elite athlete in any way or or, or represent my country. Um, so I think, I think number one, and, and I still feel this is I just loved it. It was when I enjoyed the running, I enjoyed the training, um, I enjoyed the events. But when I realised I could sort of run on the hills and trails, that was another big turning point. It was like, oh wow! And then you realise there are these races and mountains and people run a hundred miles and that just blew my mind and, and and all I could think of was how do you do that I want to try that um and really yeah I got really carried away I mean it does fit in I, I joke it was a midlife crisis but maybe it really was um but yeah I just I just loved it and that meant I've never I don't think I've ever thought I don't want to train today you know I, I just love getting out running um as a lot of us do you know and it gets quite you know quite addictive to be honest and um so I've just I've just loved it and then Training's never felt like a chore. Um, so, and I guess I probably had a decent aerobic base uh, from from football and hiking. Um, but yeah, I'm not, I don't have much sort of natural genetic talent, I don't think, because yeah, my PBs at say marathon and half marathon, you know, I've got, I've got, certainly got friends and local runners with significantly better. So I don't think there's loads of natural talent, but I just love running. So I'll, I'll you know, I'll kind of run all day if I thought it was sensible. Uh, um, you have you have run all day. <laughs> I just just reminded you in case you've forgotten you you have run all day and all night and then all, and then all day again. I I think there are some advantages to coming to this a little later in life. Um, you know your body's not beat up. I know uh, in schools that um, uh, it's very easy for kids to get injured in in schools. They're they're overtrained, overworked. I I I came into this a little bit later. I would say I was. Um, not so much running with the football at my feet. I was usually running after the person with the football <laughs> at their feet. Uh, but I certainly, I kind of made that transition myself. And, um, you know, I think there's a little bit of an advantage there. But, this, but why don't you share with people, you know, I've got a wide range of listeners here, a couple of the things that you're, you're better known for. If, you know, if they look you up, what are the first... Um, achievements that are going to come up on your sort of wikipedia page or or whatever composite somebody else has put together <laughs> yeah for, for clarity i don't uh, last time i checked i don't i don't think i do have a wikipedia page um but um yeah uh i think well rep i, I suppose representing great britain was a big moment for me that race didn't go very well but yeah my probably my do two biggest sort of achievement if you want to put it like that would be um there's a race called the ultra trail de mont blanc or, or or utmb and i got quite obsessed with it and that's that's kind of the biggest race on the calendar that's the big one in ultra mountain you know mountain ultra running um and yeah i did it for four years in a row and sort of improved each time and, and my best yeah i went from 29th to to fifth um oh, wow. and yeah fifth was my best result in 2018 you know i i um uh yeah i mean that felt like i'd won to be honest i can't imagine doing better than that i was racing against full-time athletes who who mostly weren't parents who lived in mountains um so 
who were younger than me. So that felt, you know, that felt like, you know, and some friends made a film about it called Underdog. That felt like, a, um, yeah, a, a huge moment. That that was an amazing feeling. Um, and then a couple of years later, probably my best, I, d- I don't know how much your readers know about, We, as well as races, we have these kind of records that you can go for any time. Um, in America, they're called Fastest Known Times or, or, or FKTs. We tend to call them records here. And But there was... And you know, on a standard trail, or they might be a an established circuit in the mountains. Um, and I've I've set a few over the years, um, a varying sort of I don't want to say credibility, but varying prestige, I suppose. Uh, you know, not the absolute top ones, but but um, in 2020, I broke one for the Pennine Way, which had um, it had stood for 30 years, and then this is in just coming out of lockdown, and and, and uh, another very good runner. Uh, much better than me, but broke that record. And then I I immediately broke his record uh, eight days later. Um, he, he still talks to you, apparently. Well, he does, because this year he went back and broke my record. So, yes. Uh, and no, sorry, last year he did that. And yeah. this year I tried to go back and break his record and I, I couldn't uh, that time. So, so yeah, there's a bit of to and froing. And yeah, yeah, no, we're good. We're good friends. Um, but... Yeah, the, the, the Pennine Way is pretty brutal, isn't it? What is it, like 260 or something miles? Is that yeah, right? officially it's 268. When you run it, it's about 261. Um, so that takes yeah two and a half days and nights, you know, nonstop. Um, so it, it's it's an amazing challenge because it's, it's not just the running. It's how do you get through the nights? How do you deal with the sleep deprivation? How do you keep fueling all that time? um dealing with problems as they come up although i should say we both had a lot of help you're allowed sort of support runners and the support crew maybe at road crossings to help feed you um you get a lot of help to do these things and to get the absolute top records you you know you need you you need that bit of help um but yeah that was a big moment we me and john were both live on live on bbc breakfast television and uh, you know uh, a, a, a day or two later, partly because there was no other sport going on, and uh, <laughs> but we, yeah, we were in the Guardian, the Financial Times, it, and, and our sport is is very niche. Niche, um, it doesn't get much coverage outside, so that was well, well, kind of strange and exciting. Um, to be honest, um, it was nice to um, yeah, nice to be part of that. There were a lot, lot of records broken that summer. Yeah, John, uh, the the John that you mentioned is John Kelly, who's won the Barclays uh, Marathon, considered the well the ultra marathon, considered one of maybe the toughest race in the world. If if anybody's ever seen the movies about the Barclay, uh, so I mean, you, you your your record was taken back by by yeah, that I think, I, yeah. I mean, it's like losing to Lionel Messi. It's it's like okay, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's uh, I can li- I can live with that. Um, fascinatingly uh when you i think when you broke your the, the record uh for the pennine way uh you you were picking up litter along the way which seems entirely counterintuitive to the notion of running an fkt as, as we do call it in the states uh how did you pull that off or was it was it having a support crew yeah and that was part of my that was part of my experimentation i suppose of how do we you know how do we do this sport a bit better how do we how do we um i mean i would say I, I know a lot more now than i did then um but yeah that was just an element of how do we how can i improve my footprint uh pun not intended for something like this now the truth is it, you know there were quite there are a lot of car journeys generated by by my attempt i just want to be honest about that they wouldn't have happened probably otherwise 
Um, so picking up litter didn't really account for those, didn't really offset that. But I suppose I also I experimented with, you know, f- fueling without meat and dairy, which, which can, you know, reduce your food impact by well over 70 percent. And and I tried to fuel without plastic waste, actually, which was the most difficult um so the yeah the picking up the litter I, I admit a lot of my support runners did most of it but that, but what's amazing is that really seems to get attention in the media whereas fueling without animal products or, or or the plastic waste got I wouldn't say largely ignored but what I found is yeah picking up litter seems to really like the newspapers seem to love that uh, and have been on radio stations and they seem to love that and, uh, and it's the most one of the most I don't want to say insignificant because it is important like you know we, we hopefully most runners do that anyway but um but it gives people it gives you a hook to talk about broader issues um but yeah the truth was yeah there was a lot of driving involved and, and really my you know it definitely was a it was a sort of not great for the environment what that run ultimately um but if it gets the coverage and gets the message out then maybe it's worth it i don't know i think for anybody who runs the trails who runs somewhere natural um you like seeing them pristine you don't like seeing litter out there um, it's great if you can find the time, even when you're trying to run your fastest to stop, pick something up. Uh, but you're absolutely right that the majority of people who are engaged in outdoor sports, outdoor athletics of any kind would, would like to believe that they're doing good by the planet. It's just a sort of instinctive belief. We're out in nature. Um, <clears throat> we're, away, you know, we're not driving at this moment. We're away from all these problems in the world. We must be doing our bit to make the planet better. Uh, your new book, We Can't Run Away From This, is sort of here to like uh, pretty much crush that, that perception. There, there is a, it, it, it's a great pun for a title, there's a very, and then there's a very weighty subtitle, Racing to Improve Running's Footprint in Our Climate Emergency. Uh, the racing, of course, is also, I guess, a, a, a pun. Um, I have finished reading it, uh, proving that my old homework habits have not uh, have not died with age. I finished reading it this morning, but that's fantastic because it means it's it's fresh. I've been reading it for weeks, and I just like put an hour and a half aside to finish my notes. It's a really, really important uh, book, and and I really encourage everybody <clears throat> listening here to to try and get a copy. I mean, it is written to a large degree for a British audience, um, but I, I think, um, you know, as a Brit who's, who's an expat, who's lived in the States for a long time, uh, websites are universal. There's a lot there that, that can be translated if, if literally, you know, we've got to find certain translations, we can do it. In um, the simplest form, why are we doing harm to the planet as runners and as outdoor? I'd like to kind of, you know, keep, keep a perspective here on outdoor athletics in general. So even if it's, you know, hiking, mountaineering, all those kind of things, what, what are we doing to F up the planet? Well, thank, thank you for your kind words and thank you for reading it all. Um, as, a, as a sort of, yeah, former journalist myself, it's not always, I've definitely interviewed people where I've sort of started reading their book and just run out of time. Um, and then you ask, yeah, you ask them questions about the, uh, the first half of the book and, and they start talking <laughs> about the second half and, and they clearly tell you, they clearly know you haven't read it. Um, so, so thank you. Um, yeah, there were, there were three main areas for, for, for most individual runners where, where the most harm will be created. And, and that's quite simply, it's, it's your travel, your kit. Oh, sorry, kit's not an American word, is it? Kit means like, like your gear. Gear. Is that, is that American? Yeah, your gear. So you're you're running you're running clothes and equipment uh, and shoes, um, and and thirdly your diet. Um, 
the diet's a bit trickier because obviously you're going to, yeah, you're eating all day anyway. Um, but I guess the point was with that, 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 yeah, meat and dairy industry has a huge impact on the planet. Close to 19% of all global emissions are from meat and dairy, which is, which is staggering. That's worse than, you know, more than aviation, for example, which, which, you know, really surprised me when I, when I learned that. Um, and I go into that in, in, in detail. Um, and for runners, at least in Britain anyway, we're encouraged, you know, to eat a bit more protein, aren't we? Like to recover, to let those muscles recover. And I'm not saying we shouldn't for a minute, but um, animal protein, uh, yeah, huge, huge impact on the on the planet, which which really has to change. Um, so, yeah, it's a, it's our fueling, which can massively be improved by cutting cutting down or out um, meat and dairy. Um, travel, I think, is a lot simpler, and, and most of us probably know already that you know flights are the most sort of carbon intensive thing we can do like per minute sort of thing um and, and i'm not hopefully the book doesn't come across as too preachy you know i'm not saying hey no one should fly anymore um you know there i if i'm honest there are still two or three things i'd love to do over the pond there um but i'll be really selective i'm really careful about you know well i suppose i used to fly to utmb for example um last time i realized i could just get i could just get a train it took a bit longer but I got the train and it cost more, but um, I could get the train and that that was about a third of the emissions. So that made me more OK. That made me personally a bit happier to be there. I felt less, less bothered about my impact, you know, le less guilty about it. Um, and, and so we can all. Yeah. So it's, it's just giving the information, hopefully, and people can make their own choices. I, You know, I, I know people who really care about the planet and they've done they might have done two or three flights this year and i'm you know i try my best not to be too judgmental there might be good reasons they might not fly at all next year they might be doing loads of work um you know el elsewhere towards towards our problems um but it's just having having the knowledge so that you can make your own decisions um also car journeys um i appreciate in america there's a lot lot bigger distances um i don't no idea what your rail network is like um ours is ours is oh, oh it's terrible it's terrible. <laughs> it's sadly, sadly, there were there were railways all over the place here, and now you know, a lot of them uh, have been converted to rail trails, which at least that's beneficial. But um, the rail networks that existed in the nineteenth century, you know, don't exist now, and it's it's tragic. I'm just going to put that in there because they're they're right around here in the Catskills, and you've got a couple of tourist trains. Um, it would be wonderful if they were regular trains, but we can come back to that. Um, yeah, we don't have a great rail system here at all. Okay. Well, yeah, that's a shame. I know you do. Yeah, I think domestically you do a lot more flying as well, but you're a massive country compared to yeah. us. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's just maybe being conscious. It, it might be people deciding to race a bit less. I've definitely raced. I've decided, and I'm lucky, I've, I've done a lot of the big, exciting international races I wanted to do. So I'm not, hopefully not being too preachy to other people. Yeah. Personally, I, yeah, I just am happier racing less abroad. Um, but there are still some things I want to do. Um, but sorry. Yeah, no, I think we can break break a lot of this down into those three components. Right at the beginning, you recognize um, your own, and, and I, I'm sure, I think you use this word, you recognize your own hypocrisy. But I think what, what I would prefer to say is you recognize your own humanity, being that you were not born this way. You're a recent convert, relatively recent convert to the outdoor sports. You're, along the way, you've realized about the impact on the environment. You've turned into a sort of... Um, 
uh, uh, almost involuntary environmental activist. I mean, you know, voluntary as well, but you've become a sort of, you know, you, you are now a bit of a spokesman. And so you've had to reflect on your own decisions and actions in the past. That's all we can do as humans. So I don't find you preachy at all. If anything, I think you're, you're, you're trying to encourage people to, to not feel they have to be absolutist. And very, very early on, I mean, I've highlighted so much of this book that, that I, it would be dangerous to get into it. But very, very early on, you put in, in brackets, which are called parentheses in the States. There is a different word for everything. You've writ literally written, which is worse, a crisp packet that's a chips packet stuck in a pea bog or landfill for two years, or one that's sent to an incinerator where it'll directly add to global heating. Um, I mean, that's a classic scenario of there's, there's, you know, there, there's a Faustian bargain or a devil, you know, um, probably the better thing would be not opening and buying the crisp packet in the first place. But as you point out, people have to fuel. So if we were to break this down, uh, into the three areas. Um, maybe the one that I think I can probably hook the listeners on most, because I just think I can, is to talk about kit slash gear. And that's the one that you open with, where you admit straight away that you own 25 pairs of running shoes. What's the problem there, Damien? Yeah, no, I'm glad you raised that. That was kind of the, yeah, the, the third area I hadn't really gone into much just now. Um, and that is the area that really depressed me the most. Um, I think travel and, and fueling is reasonably straightforward. I'm saying that with hesitation. Uh, there are quirks everywhere and caveats and footnotes. Um, but yeah, the kit, wow. I I, uh, I got properly depressed. Well, no, I don't want to make light of depression, but I was really down in the dumps. Um, I mean, partly because I'm a sponsored athlete and I'm part of that. And, and like you say, at the time, I had 25 pairs of shoes and, and I hadn't really realized there was anything wrong with that. So there's a couple of stats. I'm not brilliant at remembering all these stats, but obviously they're in the book. But, but one that really stands out to me was that globally, the trainer industry, that's not just running shoes, that's all trainers, is estimated to create as much uh, carbon dioxide and, and 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 equivalent greenhouse gases as the United Kingdom, um, which is which is over one percent um, of the sort of global contribution. I, I guess one percent doesn't sound like loads, but that's that's a lot of, of greenhouse gases. Um, so that was pretty stunning. It was like they create as much as one of the wealthiest countries in the world. Britain's not large geographically. There's a lot of people here though. There's, there are. there's well over sixty million. Um, so that was a that was surprising. And then you think about our shoes, and I don't know how many most people buy a year. I did a few like polls amongst friends to see how many pairs of shoes they had. And actually most was about, I think it was about eight or nine on average. Um, but if you think all our shoes are made from from fossil fuels, um, they're made from so many pieces, it's over a hundred pieces uh, in each shoe that it makes them very labor intensive. So when they're made in the factories, um, yeah, they take some time. There's a lot of energy use. So our shoes, on average, um, they cost sort of 14 kilograms of CO2e to produce, which isn't, um, you know, that's not as bad as a flight, obviously. But I think in my book, I calculate, you know, my 25 pair shoes is 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 like a car journey from sort of one end of England to the other. Um, so quite significant. But then also you've got this huge, well, there are two more things. One is, I don't know if it's the same in the States, but over here we're sort of encouraged that after three to 500 miles, our shoes are going to injure us. So we should throw them away. Absolutely. And if you throw them away, what happens to them? None of them are recyclable. There are, there are two or three companies bringing out recyclable shoes, but, but that's quite a new thing. So we don't know yet how good that is. And if they're not lasting as long, that's not better. Um, so we're told to throw our shoes away. And where are all those shoes now? They're, they're in landfill or they've been incinerated, both of which 
have massively added to to the global problem. So we're getting through all these shoes. Um, and I, yeah, there were some great people around, um, some friends of mine at Rerun Clothing. Um, yeah, it really sort of just encouraged, spread an awareness of, of, of this myth, I suppose. And I did look at, I looked in all the studies I could find to see if there was a real study linking, you know, directly linking shoes to injury. And I didn't find one. Um, of course, over time, your shoe might lose some cushioning, et cetera. You know, we can go right down into the weeds on that. Um, but actually, various studies, you know, is, is quite debated about whether cushioning really helps you or not, or is it making your foot sort of weaker and less stable? I, you know, a big part of your book is unpacking what's bad for the environment overall with what is bad for runners. And my initial thing might be, well, shoes are shoes. They're, if they're bad for the environment, they're bad for the environment. But what you really get at here is that um, our trainers slash sneakers, because there's a different word for everything, are excessively bad because they have so many components made from so many different substances that are so hard to even un literally unpack if we wanted to recycle them that we're encouraged to replace them way before necessary. It's over consumerism. There are the, the, the shoe companies, even the ones that sponsor you are pounding us with new products in our inbox every, every day, every pretty much every day of the week. Um, and then this shocking statistic that is in your book, I, I, it, you're quoting someone here, almost every shoe that's ever been made is still on the earth. I think you said something like only 15% of of running shoes ever get reused, recycled, donated. Um, that's a depressing figure. Yeah, no, it really is. Um, and then, and then you move on to the the clothing, and it, it felt even worse, to be honest. Um, now, now, what I what I struggled with a bit was trying to unpick the running industry from like global fashion and clothing industry, which is just horrendous on so many levels. Even like slave labor, child labor, toxic chemicals toxic dyes workers you know really having a terrible time getting ill um the pollution in waterways the pollution from dyes there's lots of bad things going on it was difficult to always pinpoint you know which which brands are being being safe and being okay and doing the right thing partly because also in the in that world there are so many ethical standards and they all measure different things and some people sign up to some so in food i don't know if you've got it over there but you know fair trade food do you have yeah, that sure yes yeah so we've got this one global thing for food pretty much and we can trust it i think and and it's one standard you know and in clothing it there are 30 of these things maybe even more so that that's really confusing for the consumer um you know a brand a clothing might have you know two of these but they don't have the one for human rights or you know so it's 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 an absolute minefield um then you've got this whole level of nine uh 69 of clothes globally are made from fossil fuels poly polyester fossil fuels so they again the the fossil fuel companies are, are totally have have us in their hands um i mean you've got to say actually the polyester is pretty durable actually and lasts well so if you're using it like all plastics actually if you're using it reusing it then actually it's it's pretty good but it's when you don't want it anymore you've got too many clothes over here we have this phenomenon with the race t-shirts free race t-shirts do you have that over there yes although i'm happy to say that it's it's changing i think that race directors are really waking up to what i guess you're about to tell me that that every race you ever enter and pay a pretty low fee for gives you a free t-shirt and you tend not to wear it because it's not very doesn't look great not very good yeah they're often not very good you know um so so they go in a drawer you know and, and then two years later you go oh, i better check those t-shirts out and, and again that's adding to the problem um 
the waste problem, but also it's a whole waste of, of the creation of the T-shirt. That's where a lot of the emissions happen. So, yeah, the clothing and the kit, I really got depressed. And then there's all this greenwash as well, where so many of these companies are saying we're ethical, we're sustainable. And you look at them and they're really not. Um, or they have, you know, one shoe that has a bit of recycled plastic or they have managed to reduce the emissions on one shoe, but they make another 19 shoes. and They've done nothing with those. You know, so there's so many of these companies, um, you know, trying to hoodwink us. Basically, they're, they're trying to use environmentalism as a, as a selling point, as you know, they're, they're taking advantage of those of us who care, I think. So I felt really angry and fed up. Um, and really, the solution there was the most sustainable kit is the kit you've already got. And, you know, durability is likely to be the best thing these companies can do, not use a bit of mushroom or algae or sugar cane, because um, sometimes that shoe won't last as long, actually, as one made from fossil fuels. So until we've got a great solution there, we look for durability and and probably most of these companies should make a bit less. You know, uh, I know that doesn't really fit with what capitalism is, but, you know, there are whole books on this by economists. Uh, I mentioned the degrowth concept in my book from, from an economist over here. Um, but, yeah, these companies are, are doing bad, you know, yeah, doing doing M- bad. Most them. of them are doing doing bad things. For the first uh, episode of this new series, I had met Matt Fitzgerald on. I don't know if you know him. He's a... Uh, oh, a, he's great. Yeah. yeah. And I was reading one of his older uh, books where he talked about Nike had at that point introduced a shoe that was designed to only be good for 50 to 100 miles. So they are o- over-marketing to us and we fall for it. And I think a lot of what you have in your book is that so much blame um, or, or indeed so much... Um, self-correction is placed on us as consumers but we're at the we're at the you know the far end of 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 the wedge we're the ones being marketed to it's you know you and i both parents kids watch commercials they they will want the latest shiny object and so so much of the change that we're, we're talking about really needs to come from companies saying hey you know what buy our thing it will cost a little bit more and it will last a lot lot longer that's kind of like a message i was getting from a lot of your book particularly when it comes to gear and kit yeah no i think you've summarized that really nicely um and there's only one company i found actually that have all that have, all, that have said we're going to make less you know um it doesn't have to be less product overall but it could be like you know we've got 30 types of shoes let's just make 25 like you know and killian johnny's new brand actually new new and normal uh i must credit him for yeah he's tried to make a shoe that he's doing the, the small mountain races and the long ultras in the same shoe. So he gets all this stuff. Um, that idea is 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 a strong one. You know, do we really need, I mean, I take the mickey out of myself a bit, you know, my 25 pairs of shoes. I, I came to believe I needed at least 15, you know, needed one for this type of terrain, this type of terrain, this type of terrain. Now, of course, road is different to slippery rock on a mountain, but do we don't really don't need as many pairs of shoes as we're being sort of sold. Um, so, yeah, it'd be refreshing if brands, I think, could, you know, just make a handful of really good shoes that are going to last. They're going gonna to last us. And certainly Vivo Barefoot are the one company who, who I've heard of who have said we're going to make fewer shoes, you know, or, or at least fewer types of shoe. So, yeah, they're definitely on my on my sort of uh, green list. Uh, and not many brands are. But, yeah, there, there were three or four other impressive band, brands that I mentioned in there. Um, but really... It's not always, yes, yeah, so some of them, I mean, maybe that maybe some of them are well-meaning, but we can often get, I think, a bit distracted by the materials in that, yeah, often often using natural materials will the shoe 
be as durable. So, it, you know, if you need to buy three pairs of shoes over that year instead of the two made from fossil fuels, is it any better? Probably, most likely, there has been a little study on this. Most likely, that's more greenhouse gases from the three more sustainable materials shoes. Um, so really, it seemed like for now, at least, it's simply making things last long, you know, buying less, making things last longer. Um, now, I appreciate that's not a, <laughs> it's not a very exciting or sexy message to share with people. And yeah, I mean, even just today, I've done a post on Instagram. Um, you know, I still like new shoes. I'll be I'll be honest, like, I, I know, I know the, the, the impact they have now. And I'm much, much better than I was. But it's still, if you love running, you probably love running shoes and you probably find it quite exciting getting a new pair. But uh, personally, I'm getting much better at, you know, looking after a shoe, for example, you know, washing it more if it's muddy. Um, not another little a tiny trick is, you know, sort of not kicking your shoe off, you know, half undone because that can damage the, the back bit of the shoe. I've forgotten the technical name, but, you know, that will break down more quickly. So looking after your shoes a bit, not putting them on radiators. Um maybe sewing them up or taping them up or gluing them up if, if a little bit's gone wrong, but they're still very usable, which is often the case. So yeah, I, I've got a habit now of trying to make my shoes last at least a thousand miles um, when I hadn't really thought about that a year or two ago. I hadn't really thought about that. I kind of thought, oh, five or 600 miles, it looks a bit weathered. I've been told to chuck it out. Um, but really, I think, so we can make, we can improve, but really I think the onus is on these companies to, to, to do much better. They've got all the money. They can have so much more impact. On that, on that note, uh, you do come up with some great words in your book. Uh, the one that you use most often is you, you call the climate emergency, the great kerfuffle fuck or kerfuffle feck. Maybe you're trying to avoid the, the, the F word. Um, but you also came up with, I think you came up with this, a great word late in the book, um, of which you are, you are one, I guess, uh, you are one because you talk about the role that you have, uh, your, uh, as spondacidences, uh, <laughs> which is obviously a, a trilogy of spons sponsored athletes who are ambassadors and influencers. So I know we, we mentioned Innovate and, and I know you are an ambassador for Innovate and, and I, um, when they make their shoes well, they're, they're phenomenal. Um, have you been able to have an impact with the companies that want to sponsor you and want to give you free stuff? That was the first time anyone's ever said that word to me. So I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled <laughs> that you picked it up. Thank you. And I, I quite enjoyed creating it. Spombacidensis. Um, it's great. It's wonderful. <laughs> um, now, now you could easily be one of those and and be massively adding to overconsumption, I suppose. If you've got a big following or you're just compelling, you know, and you're saying, look at this new thing. I, I don't know how effective that stuff is, but I imagine pretty effective. And, and you could be fueling that whole sort of I need the new one. I need the new one. I need the new one. So certainly in the last year or two, I've I've really changed my behavior. Um, it's very rare. Uh, I will directly promote a product uh, just so happens today. I, I have done, but with a lot of caveats and um, with a lot of explanations about how bad shoes are. Um, and it's a shoe that does seem durable so far. And I've used a lot um, and, and I'm happy to sort of say, look, this seems like a durable shoe. I, you know, I'm OK. I, I feel OK recommending it. But, you know, please, everyone, let's not buy more shoes than we need, which does sound preachy. Um, so I've, I suppose I've modified my behavior a lot um, in that regard. Um, I, I also do think. Yeah, I, I think you I think we do have to show a bit of a middle way that if you care about the planet, you know, there's the, you, you, what am I trying to get at? Like that extreme absolutism where, yeah, everyone turns vegan. No one flies ever again. No one ever buys anything new for, t you know, for 10 years. Um, that's going to put a lot of people off now. Now, I, uh, so 
I think to me it feels there, there's some value in trying to show a bit of a middle way where you can still care about the planet, but you might you might have to fly sometimes, you might buy some new kits sometimes, but we can just all do these things with greater consideration, I think, and, and a bit less. The other thing, yeah, your question, do I have influence there? Um, I hope so. I, I have regular discussions with with a couple of the um the sort of creative leads there, the the person in charge of in, in fact, um, yeah, I interviewed two people from Innovate in, in the book. Um, one of them is in charge of all the clothing. One's in charge of all the shoes. Um, I've had regular chats with with uh, with Bo, who's in charge of the shoes today and yesterday. Um, and she's honestly doing amazing things behind the scenes. I can't reveal them publicly. Um, and it's not necessarily, this is another thing about, especially in the clothing, it's not necessarily the big gestures of, hey, we've made a recyclable shoe. I'm not saying that's terrible, but often, you know, encouraging a factory to use more renewable power is going to have heart, a huge, much bigger impact than this renewable, sh uh, recyclable shoe, most likely. So there, I feel confident they're doing things behind the scenes that, that do encourage me. They're not doing enough and they're not acting quickly enough. Um, and I, I don't mind saying that out loud. But if I if I sort of quit them and go elsewhere, you know, I'll have no influence there. Whereas if if I if I do hang around and and I know, well, I don't want to put words in her mouth, but she says similar in the book. You know what? If she left the company and she she cares about yeah. this so 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 much, um, you know, if she left the company, she'd have no influence there anymore. Whereas if she stays in the company, maybe she can have some influence. Um, but if I'm totally honest, maybe I'm rationalising. You know, I like getting some new shoes sometimes. Right? It's twice a year now instead of five times a year. But you know, maybe I'm rationalising that because I enjoy that position, and I'm just just being honest. No, that's possible. That's possible. And I appreciate what you're doing. And at the end of the day, companies like Innovate are a drop in the, uh, the, 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 the ocean compared to the Nikes of this world. Um, you know, those are the, the big Nikes, Adidas, uh, Under Armour. These are the companies that really need to change. Just staying on this for a minute and then we've got to get to the food and the travel. But I just put a few few items here. You talked about the T-shirts. It's also the medals, etc. And um, uh, I'm deliberately wearing something that I love. I actually got this um, this year for volunteering at Manitou's Revenge, which is an ultra. And I've got to say, it's the most comfortable, gorgeous thing. And it's one of those souvenirs that I will wear and wear and wear. So that's a good one. But the um, the people who did that event, you know, a couple of years ago, they gave us this baseball cap at the end of a race. It's for the Cat's Tail Trail Marathon. Um, my son started wearing it, which is great. It never fitted my head. I didn't really need it. I mean, bottom line, and when I look at it, it says um, made in Vietnam, 100% polyester. I mean, would your view sort of be, listen, guys, unless somebody's asking for these, just it's not why I entered the race. Let me put it that way. Yes. Um, yeah. I mean, races have got to stop g giving out cheap trash, really. Um, so much of it will just end up in landfill thrown away. So much of it's made of plastic, ultimately. Um but but like you say, if they give you a quality item, but but also what's happening in the UK, we've got this brilliant company called Trees Not Teas. Um, and I, I got to put my hand up. My wife works for them. My, my friend founded the company and, and they go to the and they, they are. They do operate in America now as well. And they go to races and, and, and uh, for free and they give runners the chance when you sign up for the race, you could pl you could have a, plea tr a tree planted instead of your race T-shirt. But I would say if a race really feels that they make great T-shirts and people really want to wear them, well, yeah, make a really good quality T-shirt and say, hey, it's an extra five, I don't know, over there, $10, $15. Um, and you get a really good T-shirt you, you might want to wear, but give them the choice maybe rather than just giving them a free one. 
um, or, or a cap like that. And, and yeah, I, and we've got a bit of a movement here where you sort of politely say no at the end of a race if you don't want the, well, ideally when you sign up, but at the no at the end of the race to the T-shirt or the medal, just politely, you know, explain your stance. And I've been doing that quite a lot. I, I mean, occasionally I still take, I still took a medal. I did a big race in Italy a few weeks ago. And actually I'm, I'm proud of that one. And I, and I am, it's a nice medal. I'm going to keep it. Um, there's less research on, on medals and how bad they are, but they're nearly always, I think from China, um, which actually, yeah, well, that's a, a, a long story, but actually the transportation often isn't, isn't much of a problem. Um, but yeah, t-shirts, there's a lot more research and, and yeah, we, we know that they can be pretty bad. Um, and I've got to say the, the, the race directors uh, that do, you know, both this, the, both these races, you know, I just did the cat's tail again. I actually did it as a charity hike, um, which was, which was great fun. Cause I got in within the running cutoff time and, and, and that was wonderful, but they have no, um, all the water at the aid stations goes straight in your bladder. Uh, you know, it either goes straight down your mouth or straight in the bladder. There is some Coke laid out. Um, you know, you mentioned Coca-Cola is one of the worst plastics, uh, uh, demons i guess in the world with all their bottles and the water companies plastic water you know the the, the so-called great water that they own um and yet we drink coca-cola on our races there's a lot of these these sort of caveats um interestingly the greenest race that i was aware of doing i did a few years back and of all places it was in tennessee um and i don't i just looked it up and i don't think it's going anymore but it was called the green life half marathon and it was uh, shelby farms um they actually had only local food at the finish line, you know, salads, et cetera. Um, they, it was actually, I believe it was carbon negative. And I just did want to ask you, the shirt says it's, it's I remember at the time this shirt, which I like and I still have, which is a good sign, said it was made from recycled, recycled plastic bottles. I thought that was great. But then in your book, I think you're pointing out this is, this is now the end of the line maybe for these recycled plastic bottles, that the, the desire would be not to have the plastic bottles. Is this just one of these we can't win? I know that the event itself yeah. <laughs> was trying to do the right thing. I know that much. Yeah. No, recycled polyester, which is, or recycled PET, which is usually come from plastic bottles. Oh, it's really complex and confusing about whether that's good or not. Um, essentially, I think it is better than virgin plastic. But often, for example, that's taken plastic out of a circular system that would have gone back into being created a bottle maybe 10 times and it's stuck in a T-shirt, which can't be recycled again. Uh, but then you might argue, well, that T-shirt might be worn for 10 years. And, and that, you know, that's that's all right, you know. Uh, but if that T-shirt obviously goes into into your drawer and then into landfill, then that's a, a waste of everything. Um, so it, what, it's confusing. It's confusing whether recycled polyester, even recycled cotton and recycled um, organic you know wool uh all these items it, it's it's a real uh minefield um and it, even by the end i couldn't really you know work out you know what was good and what wasn't and then of course yeah things like say wool often um i think recycled wool is is about the best right but do we want to run in wool no. not often right. so that's really frustrating isn't it so often the best materials aren't actually good for our athletics kind of well thing. that leads that leads me on uh very swiftly to the diet um you write in the book that you are a relatively recent convert to what you call full annoying vegan um because you know certain vegans wouldn't want to wear wool why do you use that term full annoying vegan uh well <laughs> i i'd heard from vegan friends beforehand that sometimes it sort of uh and maybe from myself before i was that you know meeting a vegan it seems to challenge some people and, and they they want to straight away be defensive um i actually haven't experienced a lot of that but i also did find some research that said like 
I don't know, vegans were ranked as annoying as I can't, I can't remember. It might have been sort of Jehovah's people. Witnesses. <laughs> it was along those lines. Like they, they were in the in the categories of stigma of like, oh, you don't have a vegan sitting next to you. Um, so I thought rather than, you know, rage against that, I think a bit like with the climate hypocrisy idea, embrace it and go, I'm an annoying vegan. And I do genuinely say that at places like, oh, sorry, I'm an annoying vegan. I can't eat that. Um, yeah, I'm quite new to it. And, and it was just some research. There's a website, Oxford University over here. There's a website um, that show this four year study, which I'm sure you've heard of which is the biggest study in the world that we've had on, on food and, and emissions. Um, it's on uh, ourworldindata.org, which is Oxford University. And it's got this incredible study showing you the, the, the emissions from all your foodstuffs and just seeing how much worse beef was than, than anything else. And, 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 then, and then it was lamb and then, and then various dairy and meat products. And, and you just realized the huge difference there between that. And, and I, I pretty much turned... Well, no, I had a little spell of like, right, no vegan at all. Or, sorry, no, no beef or lamb. And then after a while, that felt a bit like not much of a gesture at all. Um, so, I, yeah, I kind of gave it all up and um, just, well, yeah, you can improve your your footprint by well over 70 percent by doing that. Um, that's and, not small. That's 70 percent. You can improve your your overall. Is that your overall food footprint by 70 yes, overall food footprint and, and your food will be stepping away from running in real life, your food will be a quarter, a quarter of your footprint for most people. So you can dramatic, dramatically reduce that. Um, and of course, yeah, not everyone, you know, some people love a burger or love bacon, but the two other things I go into the book, I mean, yeah, red meat especially is linked to the worst diseases in the world. Uh, even who say, you know, bacon, you know, it causes cancer. Um, and, and then also of course there's the animal welfare, which is May, may may well be why you got into it in the first place and, and why a lot of longer term vegans have got into it and once you start you know even just how milk is produced i was just in denial denial about that just thinking uh, i don't really want to know and then you're like oh 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 gosh i don't want to be part of that so i had three big reasons i thought to and and it's been much more fun much easier than i thought admittedly over here most cafes most restaurants you know they have options um I really enjoy I really enjoyed that actually. And it feels it feels nice to, yeah, knowing you've got values. You know, so each each mealtime or even snack time, you're 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 making an action according to your values. And that actually that feels good. And and, and I, that was partly because you know, I can never say I'm never gonna fly again or never get in a car again. So I didn't have I had sort of a lack of satisfaction from that area. And then yeah, I'm probably gonna need some more running shoes at some point. So again, lack of satisfaction, but I'm doing all I can with the food. And that was actually, that's quite satisfying as well. Um, I haven't felt any sort of performance detriment or anything. Um, no, I mean, I if exactly any, what the question was, but yeah, yeah if anything, Damien, um, you, you know, I've, I was, I was looking into, I don't know if you've seen a movie, it's an American movie called Game Changers, but it's, um, it's about uh, veganism and, and, and athleticism. Um, you know, the world's strongest man, you know, the world, the guy who can, you know, push the most, most weights is is vegan and it, it it there's a lot in that movie uh when you look it up and you realize that that you know lewis hamilton's a vegan uh you know there's there's any number of william uh, sisters william sisters are almost entirely vegan i i gather um scott jurek uh you feel uh, just on the runners fiona oaks rich roll um i believe novak Djokovic is is vegan kendrick farris is the top weightlifter i guess these days um 
you know, people get caught in the protein myth that we don't have time to go into that in depth, but I can probably put a link or two in here. Basically, uh, Brits and Americans eat too much protein and you, um, the dairy and meat industries uh, have incredible lobbying power. So they tell us we need the protein from those products when we can get it naturally. A lot of it's about just having a balanced diet. But uh, I think you'll find that, uh, you know, some of the best athletes in the world are, are uh, vegan, are certainly reducing their meat intake. We know about football clubs like Forest Green Rovers that have jumped from non-league football to League One in the UK uh, as the world's first fully vegan football club. It's clearly done them no harm at all. Um, so I, you know, from a from a health aspect, and also I, I, you know, I've yet to post the DNF in my life. I'm not the world's greatest, but I've never posted a DNF. Been vegetarian since I'm 21. Um, been full on vegan. I was through the 90s, and then I have been continually since 2009. It's doing me all right. You mentioned that triumvirate because you're coming to this as you know environment, which is the purpose of your book. Um, it's also about animal welfare and removing yourself from the cruelty. And then um, it's also about uh, your, your personal health. So it's, for me, it's a, pers it's a perfect triangle. Now, on that note, I am probably going to be booking a transatlantic flight today. And I'm happy to uh, just go on to the third main subject, travel, and see what we can do as, as with our outdoor lifestyle. You know, it's going to be back to the UK. My mother's in a care home. A lot of my friends are there. Some of my work is there. I travel back to the UK about twice a year. Um, as somebody who is vegan, and you point out about uh, you know the meat and dairy industry causes as much harm as the uh, you know as as travel in in the global emissions. As somebody who drives a hybrid car and would next want to get an electric car, you know I I I I'm perfectly comfortable justifying that. But you do talk in your book about people who fly to races, and you admit that you've done that yourself in the past. Um, where does the you know, I, where I do feel guilty is I have at times driven 50 miles for a 5k race and I have caught myself saying what am I doing here like like there's a series I want to compete in the series but I'm this is kind of dumb isn't it what, <laughs> what responsibility do we have as um not just outdoor runners but outdoor athletes what responsibilities do we have how can we best check ourselves so that the outdoors that we love gets preserved and the world doesn't go up in a ball of fire sooner than it's going to. Um, yeah, blimey. You've really, but you've really touched on, on how difficult it is for individuals, you know, like no one's, well, to me, you're perfectly justified to, to, to take those flights. Of course, you know, you've got to see, you've got to see your mum. Like, um, so that's why I don't think at the moment there's a sort of blanket, you know, people should only fly once a year. Like, I think, learn learn what the impact is and hopefully my book helps there and then it's up to you to decide you know it's up to you as an individual to decide and i and i don't want to go hey that person you know that person you know i suppose occasionally in my head i might do but i you know i don't want to be that i don't want to be too preachy or finger pointy um and yeah everyone's lives are different um for example yeah you, you mentioned like better better car getting off fossil fuel cars um, I would love to. I, we, I can't afford that at the moment, and I still sometimes make yeah some 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 car journeys. I mean yeah, fifty miles for five k. Yeah, that's a bit. That might be a bit much, but like a few years ago, no one really knew you know what the imprint what the impact was. I, I um, my guess is yeah, if you if you did that again, you'd well. I mean, if you had four people in a car or even three, that wouldn't be nearly so bad. Um, 
so that is one of the areas the running when i looked more into events um that was the big area that could i think easily be improved what was the you know most of the footprint from running events came from participant travel and how they got there um and and obviously if there are flights involved that's big but also a lot of car journeys um can be nearly as bad sometimes um so yeah sharing with others or or using public transport can make a huge difference um but again it's that visual thing isn't it and i touch on that in the book that the, the visual tangible stuff usually just feels better like if you get rid of the t-shirts that there's a there's a gap you know you you can sort of see a difference whereas you you don't really see how everyone travels there so no one really knows you know what the what the impact is but actually that's far bigger impact um Does but it's you... harder to sort of yeah, it's, it's harder, harder to, sort of... to equate, isn't it? Um, yeah. It really only works when somebody says, look, we're doing this race at a national park, you know, the state park, it has room for X cars. If you don't carpool, you may not get in the car park. And then all of a sudden people will carpool. That's really, you, you know, how those things work. You write about, it's a fascinating part in the book where you, there was a study done, I guess, in, in France. So, you know, a French person's average emissions a year, and then, and then they take a flight to the New York Marathon. I think they add something like a third. Do a lot of people fly just for races because i think that is something that you point out that could be people could check themselves but it means a lot of competitors a lot of people on your level that we might want to see how you do you know like hey damien you're doing western states this year you're doing UTMB, and you might say no i don't want to fly and that that will put a whole interesting spin on on these international races yeah well um i feel like there's kind of two questions there what, it was. What, um sorry no 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 it's good it's fine um as long as i can, as long as i can remember to come back to them um yeah i i a few years ago that's what i did yeah i, I kind of flew to flew to switzerland flew to france did a race flew home uh partly you know my kids weren't there i wanted to get back to them um and i wasn't really aware of of, of the impact um now i'm aware i'm much much more careful with with the races i plan um and and it, when it come when it does come to flying again you know i'll be very just really treat it what's the word like what's the word like really treat it with respect as in oh dear i'm doing a lot of damage there i'll do my absolute best not to be flying again that year or maybe for you know for a period of time um a longer period of time um so so for me it's yeah planning planning your race schedule like do you do you really need to do all those races that far away so I, that's really changed for me Definitely, I had friends. Yeah, I suppose who would would yeah in Europe. As I suppose a bit, it's a bit like the domestic situation in America. I suppose where you you just fly for two hours, two or three hours or something, and fly home. Um, yeah, because we got these big marathons, Berlin and and, and stuff. Uh, people certainly were doing that. Um, I, I I hope some awareness is spreading. But yeah, that is a fairly leg legitimate idea that you if you stay longer that does lessen the harm. And that does come from, you know, um, professors, Mike Berners-Lee, who's a big authority in, in my book, who's who's sort of the authority in Britain on um, personal footprints. He endorses the idea that, you know, if you're gonna make an effort and, and cause that damage, stay longer, you know. And, and the other idea is, can you travel there better? Like, can you get the train? But to some people it's, at the moment, I don't know if it's like this in America, but it's often cheaper to fly which that's exactly where the government can step in. You know, it, it shouldn't be because there's more harm created to the to the world, to our to our children's future. So it shouldn't be cheaper. Um, so yeah, there's a few things there, um, but definitely staying longer, turning it into a proper holiday. To me, that's a legitimate. You know, that's that that's okay. 
Um, and and the second question was, what well, was it? Was sort of, am I denying myself sort of exciting races? Um, I, I remember, yeah, I was asked this in a recent podcast actually, and I hadn't really thought of it. Um, so I suppose not long after I decided to fly, you know, le- a lot less, we went into lockdown anyway. So it was quite easy to sort of not fly for a year. Um, and, and and we had all these, I think it made a lot of us explore our back garden, not literally our back garden, but like, you know, our area, our local area or domestic challenges. Um, so, I, yeah, I, I had a brilliant year. I, I sort of set set three records in, in, in Britain on, on various challenges. And, and there was a feeling of I don't need to go anywhere else. I don't need to go abroad. But I'll be totally honest, there are still two or three things and they do happen to be in America that really excite me. But, yeah, I'll just be very considered very careful if, if I can do them about about my my emissions overall. I mean, offsetting is a something debated in the book as well. And, and certainly isn't, you know, a get out of jail free card. Um, but. Yeah, I, I mean, I still went to UTMB last year. I could get the trains there. So it hasn't really limited me massively. It, it's limited me a little bit, but not massively, I think. And, and often it's just being more thoughtful about uh, how much you want to travel, how you travel, how long you're going to stay. I think I think that's the best way to think of it. Sure. And and I want to commend you again for the book. Uh, it's, we can't run away from this. Uh, it, it is a great title. And uh, you know, the subtitle is there. But I think that really just sums it up. You're, you're, you're anything but preachy. I think every chapter you admit that your own research has led you to just be like, oh, my God, I can't figure out the best solutions here. Um, it's a really difficult process. And again, I think you point out, you know, like like 10% of the world, that's 50% of the travel, the, the, there's the, the frequent mm. flying 1%. It always comes down that the little person at the bottom of the food chain is meant to you know, make the difference. The difference needs to come from on top, but often it can only come on from on top. If we push for it, we can push for it with what we buy, by buying less, by, by asking more questions of our companies. Um, there's a lot that we can do. And I think it's really important that you cause this self-reflection among runners. And, and again, I'd like to include sort of all outdoor uh, participants, whether they're hiking, you know, uh, mountain climbing, anything, to really sort of question their own environmental footprint. Because I, I do believe the vast majority of us, I mean, I'd like to say almost all of us are doing this thinking that, you know, we're, we're, we're having a more natural interaction with the planet. And, and, and we're coming from the intention is is good and we need to make sure that sort of our you know our, our footprint is the best it can be and uh, you know thanks for thanks for putting that down in in words on a final question is the book available as an ebook i'm pretty certain it will be it's they're definitely doing an audio version uh which of course is is um less less of a toll on the planet um uh there's definitely an audio version and my previous book ended up as a as an e version so i'm pretty certain um, if you like, I can I can drop them a line. Actually, it's worth me asking. That, actually, I can tell you. Um, although I should say, yeah, one or two people have, have rightly questioned me on social media, sort of saying, you know, um, politely, kind of saying, if if you care about the planet, why have you created this book? You know, um, I should say, you know, the book is creating a book is usually about the same as a pint of dairy milk. Um, so that was quite, um, yeah. So it's little impact, or if you understand the dairy industry you know probably a bit more impact than you thought but but yeah it's the yeah. each book is about the same as a pint of milk yeah so I, actually okay actually um, your publishing company at your request did a carbon uh, footprint of of the book 
Um, so they're actually able to say that a UK steak has a CO2E of 5.8 kilograms. One of your books is 1.82. So, so a steak is three of your books. And I think that answers the troll who asked you that question because we need, we need books. Um, Damien, it's been such a pleasure talking to you. Just a real pleasure. I knew that we could go on for hours and hours and hours. Maybe one day we'll get to meet on some, somewhere and we can do that. Um, I didn't get to ask about your tea habit. There's a, I didn't get to ask my, more about your mohawk, your favorite, um, your favorite band. Uh, maybe all for another day but in the meantime uh, you know th thanks for being a, a runner with a conscience and and making some of us just just think a little bit more and I really really appreciate that bottom of my heart thank you I suppose if I can just add one tiny thing is, is yeah during the book I, I did get very gloomy about the running industry and, and running but by the end I became quite optimistic and quite cheered up by a lot of the things you know sometimes companies but often individuals were doing um and actually i came out of it feeling quite inspired and, and sort of invigorated um and it's not all gloomy um so i and i don't want people to you know end up feeling guilty for existing you know it's it's not our fault a lot of this um but just a little bit more knowledge might help us you know make a bit less impact so that's all really but thank you My thanks again to Damien for taking time out from his busy schedule as a runner, a coach, a father, son, husband and brother, a author and of course a runner and uh, having that wonderful conversation with me. And a couple of things just to mention straight away, he also took time to write to me very quickly and say that We Can't Run Away From This is indeed available as both an audio and ebook. And I will put the publisher Adventure Books link in the show notes so that you can order directly from them if possible and uh, similarly i also just wanted to say uh he's right he doesn't have a wikipedia page and maybe one of you wants to take it upon yourself to create one for him listen if i can have a wikipedia page and i do and it's got nothing to do with me then damien hall can have one so there's a little challenge for listeners and I guess in terms of what I mentioned up front that I'm going to take a few minutes here to talk about uh, uh, the self-reflection. I guess that uh, Damien's book and the conversation inspired in me at, at, at an opportunity to pause and reflect about my own footprint and the companies I patronize or patronize because we have different pronunciations for everything. We did not get to talk about Patagonia during our interview. I did have a note to mention it, and we just didn't get there. You may or may not be aware that Patagonia has been at the forefront of um, the fight against climate change as an outdoor clothing company a uh, long, long term. And that recently, so recently, that unfortunately didn't get mentioned in Damien's book, which I'm sure, yeah, there's always going to be something that doesn't, uh, that happens after your deadline. Uh, the founder, Yves Chouinard, very recently in September, gave away the company to fight climate change. I'm going to quote here from the New York Times, says that rather than selling the company or taking it public, Mr. Chouinard, his wife and two adult children have transferred their ownership of Patagonia valued at about $3 billion, to a specially designed trust and a non-profit organization. They were created to preserve the company's independence and ensure that all of its profits, some $100 million a year, are used to combat climate change and protect undeveloped land around the globe. So I don't think any company can be doing more than Patagonia. I can't really explain why I don't um, own more or indeed any of their clothes, uh, particularly as uh, they've long had a trade-in 
department at their website where you can trade in used Patagonia clothes. I think that that gets to the very core of the conversation we had about durability being such an important part of sustainability. And certainly, um, if you visit Patagonia's website, as you should visit the websites of all companies that uh, claim to be doing good, you will get so much detail about what they do. It can be a rabbit hole, but it's a good rabbit hole to go down. I also took time to uh, have a little look about the, the, the companies I most do support. And I think I'm going to start with the V-Brams, the V-Bram five fingers that I wear, which are my sort of you know finger gloves, my toe gloves, sorry, my toe gloves, because I've never really looked at the company's um, you know social responsibility. And I've got to say, I was massively, massively impressed. It made me feel really, really good. Um, their 2021 sustainability report, which has been audited, is online. Uh, most companies don't do that, along with incredible detail about their commitments, which includes being part of a group that's trying to formulate standards for what is called circular fashion. That would be to improve the notion of uh, recycling and recyclable materials, trying to get to that standard that Damien references in the interview just simply does not exist in fashion. They also have a repair department, which I was unaware of and uh, I'm in full support of. The five fingers are so minimal that once they start uh, wearing down uh, and tearing, I mean, it's a little difficult to keep them, but they last me a long, long time. And, uh, you know, that's great to know that a company that one is purchasing from, if even just one pair a year, that they have their hearts in the right place. The next company to talk about absolutely is Innovate, which we do discuss in the interview because Damien's sponsored by them or he's an ambassador for them. This company also uh, has an enormous amount of detail on its website about its sustainability. It's, uh, it's It goes right into the weeds about how they're reducing their footprint. Everything from less conferences, less flights, um, the ingredients switching from their packaging to a reusable bag and um, I want to praise them for that. There is something I'm very critical of about Innovate, however. And again, thanks to Damien, I got a key person's email and got a response within 24 hours when I posted off my complaint. It's one that speaks to this over-consumerist culture that we live in and which companies like Innovate should not be contributing to or perpetuating. I was literally able to screenshot by doing a, a search for Innovate that I get an email from them literally every single day uh, trying to sell me another pair of running or trail shoes. Uh, nobody has the money to buy 365 pairs of shoes a year. Nobody needs that many. And genuinely and truly, uh, companies like Innovate succeed by word of mouth. I was turned on to them by word of mouth, by other runners. And they do themselves a disservice when they clog up our inbox like this. Uh, fortunately, I did get a positive response and I was told they would look into this because, um, well, point made. But otherwise, I think Innovate yeah, really stands the, uh, the taste test here. So I'm happy to carry on with them. The one company I kind of couldn't um, really vouch for, it's Ultra Running, A-L-T-R-A. They do a lot of uh, zero drop shoes, which I like. And I have a pair called Solstice, which are my walking shoes as well as my sort of easy road 
running shoes. They have similarly been a problematic with the marketing. I recently went to check out what a pair of Solstice would cost me to replace. And within a couple of hours, got an email suggesting that I had sort of you know left something behind. I consider that akin to being followed out of a shop and being asked why you didn't purchase something, which um, is not something any of us want to go through. I don't see why we should have to go through it in the online world either. Uh, as much as anything, they're very, very um, proactive in terms of inclusion and diversity, and my hat's off to them for that. I couldn't find anything about them, about their sustainability on their website, and I found that lacking. I wrote to the company. I've been at least a week before recording this, so I'm sure people's hearts are in the right place, but somewhere between the marketing and the lack of uh, clarity and about their impact on the planet, I may pause in terms of repurchasing from Ultra. One company that didn't make it into Damien's book, just because I don't actually think he had heard of them, unfortunately, is one that we have featured on um, our podcast in the past, and that is Ender Sportswear, uh, Africa's first running shoe company, and uh, indeed uh, a Kenyan running shoe company we all know that the top ultra the top marathon runners and much shorter distance runners and longer distance runners so many of them hail from kenya something we discussed uh, with matt fitzgerald two episodes ago the company uh was founded by a kenyan Navalayo assembo i interviewed her i think it's episode eight but i'll put the link in there and the company you know started out from a premise of employing kenyans of being uh uh on their reducing environmental impact statement they're proud to be a climate neutral certified company the first in africa and the first climate neutral road running shoes uh, they are certified b core and that's an international standard and they also do so much to as they as they actually say change the way the world sees kenya and that's a very important part of what they do they're only producing two or three shoes at the moment it's a slow building process the one pair i got from them were great but moving on um my backpacks have always come from osprey it was osprey backpacks got us around the world in 2016 my 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 running bladder little backpack is from them so is my day pack that i use going around my work um osprey is uh very much involved in the idea of repairs and durability all their products are guaranteed for life that's a test i have put them to or a challenge i put them to they very happily sent me some buckles to replace an old um, backpack even though they noted the backpack had long been discontinued and um, and this whole idea of repairing and reusing is 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 at the core of all of this we're in such a consumerist culture we've largely given up on the idea of putting a patch on something we, we figure it makes us look cheap or poor and um, it's suggested in damien's book and elsewhere you know wear it as a badge of honor i mean think of it as a souvenir it's almost like the more patches think of them as tattoos or something like you know your life stories and and that's something i'm going to try and work harder on at my own end rather than just repurchasing items but i'm very happy with osprey uh there's not much else in terms of clothing companies that i really sort of support in terms of clothing i do buy my socks from a company called features they're very engaged in the local running community with kids and getting kids outdoors and i think that's just a perfectly good way to do things you know think local act global um or is it think global act local i think it's the latter isn't it <laughs> Okay, and the next thing I want to mention 
is when we move on to food, I'm not going to resell the fact that I'm vegan. But what I will say is I make a lot of my own snacks and drinks for when I go on the long events. And clearly that will reduce my impact in terms of food processing and especially packaging. The one exception is I often joke I live on Cliff Bars and Cliff is another company that's um, definitely, I guess, engaged and self-questioning and uh, I would say is trying to do its best incredible amount of detail on their website. It did make me question in that case why they recently introduced Cliff Minis, which is essentially smaller versions of the Cliff Bars. And yes, while it saves me breaking one in two and hoping I don't eat both halves in one go, it's more packaging. I tried dropping the company a, an email. Well, I successfully did. Did not hear back uh, by the time of doing this show, but they have done a lot to reduce their packaging, which is something that Damien writes about. They're trying to move to completely kind of compostable packaging. I don't think they're there yet by any means. But again, I feel okay with them. And moving on, and quite literally so, to discuss the travel. I will say I've never flown for a race. Uh, the Memphis one that I mentioned in the interview with Damien was part of a three-week road trip to research a book. I did drive a reasonably long distance to compete in my first 100k last December. I did drive to Virginia. I was the only person in the car. I did stay two nights down there and this was maybe a one-off for me. It's something I feel comfortable about doing based on everything else that I do and don't do. I did, funnily enough, since interviewing Damien, get a uh, result of my entry into the ballot for the London Marathon. The first time I've ever entered for it, entered the ballot, I was not accepted. Had I been accepted, uh, I'm sure I would have accepted because I want to run it one day. It would have been part of one of my two trips back to the UK a year. I would have actually worked the trip around that particular event. Maybe on a final note here, uh, race directors have made changes for sure. A lot of local races now offer an add-on to purchase a souvenir shirt. The Kingston Classic here this year actually donated books to local children in lieu of finisher souvenirs. And I've received quite a few medals of late. That's just worth acknowledging to begin with, winning my age groups. But several of them have been made from bamboo or wood rather than metal. And I have an incredible souvenir that is... Um, the canoe seat of somebody who's no longer with us, who has a race in his name every year. That person is Barry Hopkins. The canoe seat has a beautiful picture from an interior of a book about a book of The Hobbit or Lord of the Rings. It's a thematic uh, element to that race and to the awards. They're always handcrafted. Obviously, you can't do that on a big 30,000 person marathon. But I might suggest that maybe maybe only first-time marathon runners need the medal. It means a lot that first time. It means less when you go further down the line. I gave all of mine away to medals for metal uh, about three years ago when I moved. I have not regretted it whatsoever. Anyways, I did find this productive, just taking time out to reflect about all of this. And hopefully, if you've stuck around for my monologue uh, it's been productive for you as well. We will be back in a couple of weeks with the episode about the O Positive Festival, but just going to leave you with a note about the music you're going to hear and you have heard at the start. It's a song called Action, and it was recorded by myself and my old Apocalypse bandmate, Tony Page, as the Dear Boys. We finally got back to recording together after such a long absence. We've been best friends for, for decades now. And Action was written by Tony Page about the climate change emergency, about the need for the younger generation to... Uh, 
succeed, I guess, where the older generation has failed them. 50% of the proceeds from that song go to Friends of the Earth. Seems appropriate that I am recording this show. In fact, the show will be published the same day as the uh, Seven Inch is officially released. So I'll leave you with action by the Dear Boys. And thank you to Damien for taking action. See you all soon. Cheers. And there's so much debate That we can't keep our feet on the ground Be strong, right the wrong Act with the power of truth It won't be long before it's all gone Let's fight with the power of youth Take 